0: all right well thank you so much guys really appreciate it and uh you know you guys don't have to preach after that so <laughs> i do <laughs> Well that one always gets me so it's a pleasure to be here and to uh get to share god's word with you this morning my name's peter if you have not met i'm the pastor here at saint andrews and we've been going through the gospel of john together And today we're in the Gospel of John chapter four. We're gonna continue uh, on a story that we explored last week about Jesus with the women at the well in Samaria. And so uh, the the words will be on your screen or you can just listen along. But let me pray and then we'll dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time that we get to have together uh, to worship, to pray. Um, and to learn from your word. I pray that you would open us up, that you would give us uh, your teaching so that it might go deep into our hearts, uh, where it might take root and be a blessing of growth and fruit for all who would experience the goodness of this word. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, John chapter 4, starting at verse 27, says this. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, See a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way to him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, have something to eat. But he said to them, I have found food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food thus the saying one sows and another reaps is true i sent you to reap what you have not worked for others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor do you notice as we read the story that there is a water jar that is left behind almost in a cinematic way if you could think about the samaritan woman who had gone to this well in the middle of the day because she has a thirst. She's physically thirsty and now she, in our story, is leaving behind the water jar after Jesus has offered her eternal water, living water that will never run out, that she's leaving her water jar behind. And did you notice also in our story that Jesus skipped lunch? (laughs) That he decided there was uh, no time to eat because something was more exciting that was happening uh, between the Samaritan women and Jesus. And so they both skip out on their physical needs. Uh, One is thirsty, leaves their water jar behind. The other is probably extremely hungry, but is so excited that really he's willing to skip the meal for what's actually going on in their exchange and what's happening on the scene between their relationship and what it means for eternity. And so I just wanna talk for a moment about this line that the Samaritan woman gives us for why she left behind her water jar. She says this, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come see a man who told me everything that I ever did. And I think this is an expression of God's nearness. A discovery of God's nearness. See, when we learn that God knows everything about us, we learn that God is near to us. This really addresses a fundamental need that we have. It corrects a lie. The lie is this. You don't have a living connection with God. You don't have a living connection with God. You remember in the earliest pages of our Bibles, in the story, uh, in the Genesis story, that we read that God gives his image to each and every person. They're created in the image and likeness of God. And yet, do you remember what the serpent tempts Adam and Eve with? He says that you can become like God. And so really, he's trying to tempt them to earn something that they already have. He's trying to get them to think that they have to earn something that they have already been given. I want to use a picture because I want to connect this again to Easter. We can live in the Easter tide, in the Easter flow. This is a picture of uh, Mary Magdalene at the tomb. It's a different picture than the one I used on Easter, but it has the exact same theme to it. I just want us to get this picture in our heads and our hearts. Right? There's Mary Magdalene. She's looking at an empty tomb. Her assumption is that Jesus has been stolen. The dead body of Jesus has been stolen away. And her perspective is the only thing she can see and think about. And so she's destitute. She's in tears. She's weeping at the thought of the despair. And yet we see the bigger picture here, that as she's crying, thinking all is lost, thinking that death wins, that in reality Jesus is there watching her cry, that Jesus is there even in her most difficult moment, even in the midst of her despair, Jesus is still there, God is still near in this picture. And what is it that, that needs to be done is not some type of earning, it's only a turning around It's only an acknowledgement of the living Jesus, the resurrected Jesus who's calling her name, saying Mary, and in this churning and in this acknowledgement is really the fundamental new realities unfolding in this one picture. I say that because we need to dispel this lie that so often is erected even by well-meaning religion that keeps wanting to reveal things. And to say, you know, there is a distance between you and God, and if we can say the right words, if we could do the right things, then we can dispel this veil. The reality is, is that Jesus came into the world to teach us about the union that we have with God, to show us how near God is to us. And that's, that, that's so exciting for this Samaritan woman that she leaves behind her water jar, right? She's turned and she's begun to understand not in fullness but in part who Jesus is, the saving one. And Jesus is also excited, but what is Jesus excited about? Jesus is excited because he's seen something in this woman that he hasn't seen yet anywhere else. N. T. Wright puts it this way: He says, "The turn the conversation has taken, and the woman's reaction has shown him that here, outside the boundaries of the chosen people, away from Jesus itself, there is a spiritual hunger, which is, however muddled, if it, which in however muddled a fashion is ready to hear what he has." To say. So there's a normally a lag time between sowing and reaping, we, we learn in this story, but not right now. Jesus sees in this one moment a fulfillment. The kingdom of God has come. And it's coming from a surprising place. It's coming from the margins, not from the center of the Jewish establishment, but out on the margins in Samaria, an an unexpected place to reap the harvest. But actually from the margins, so will come the saving message that Jesus is the Savior of the world and this woman goes out and she brings that good news to her community, this good news that will then go out and Jesus knows this. He's so excited to see that his hunger, his desire that people would begin to understand who he truly is, is being fulfilled in this woman. And so there's a symbiotic relationship that that this woman's deepest heart desire and Jesus' deepest heart desire are now finding fulfillment in each other with this mutual beginning to understand recognition of each other and the implications of what it means for each other, right? On the one end, this woman who has, has worked through some of her sins, some of the things that have, have just prevented her from understanding who she truly is in light of uh, how she was made to be by Jesus. And then Jesus, who has brought this good news message, who's on the scene, who's taken on flesh and blood and has taught, and so desperately desires for each person to just really see and understand the good news of who he is, and finally hears this connection, this realization. I wanna jump to uh, the crucifixion because there's a real parallel in the Gospel of John between what happens on Jesus' crucifixion and what's happening in the story. The themes are actually played out again at the end of John's gospel. Particularly John 19, 28 says this. Later, knowing that all was now completed, these are the last words in the gospel of John from Jesus. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. Uh, To help me explain this, I wanna tell you about a famous movie that I hated when I was a kid. It was called The the Sound of Music, okay? And the reason I hated it is because my mom loved it more than any movie that's ever existed. And um, she used to listen to it in the car, repeatedly, over and over. So I have every song memorized, um, even though I didn't like it. I just, osmosis of learning. And and she did this tricky thing, right, where she convinced my son that it would be a good idea to watch this movie. And so there I was, my son and I sitting there to sit down to watch The Sound of Music. And as an adult, I had a totally different experience with this movie, Um, especially in light of thinking of my mom and the way in which the themes of that movie are really unpacked and the things that were meaningful for her in that movie. Um, but there, there, there's a, a scene at the beginning of this movie and then scene at the end of this movie that I promise you, I think if you really think deeply about it, will help to speak into this uh, story that we have in front of us. At the beginning of the story, I think we have a picture. The main character is named Maria. And at the beginning, she assumes that she is going to be a nun. Um, and she's actually a very bad nun um, and she's late and she's sort of frivolous and she wants to go out onto the hillside and she wants to sing and so, so the nuns are concerned about her because she's not doing what she should be doing. And so they, they, they talk about the problem of Maria, right, and, and they actually sing about this problem of Maria. <laughs> There's a whole song just about what's wrong with Maria, right? But the things that are articulated in this song are really fascinating because they're not just like pointing out Maria's flaws, they're talking about something intractable. Says this, how do you keep a wave upon the sand? How do you solve a problem like Maria? How do you catch a cloud and pin it down? How do you keep a wave upon the sand and how do you hold a moonbeam in your hand? So it's saying in some ways Maria's problems are intractable. That's how complicated they are. And I I think that what's interesting as we've been looking at uh, these stories is it's describing intractable intractable problems. Like no matter how much I eat, I'm gonna be hungry again. No matter how much I drink, I'm gonna be thirsty again. And then I wonder too about this intractable problem of being human. How much it gets in the way of this turning around to acknowledge the presence and nearness of God. It's just simply that we know that we're human and we're frail and that we have sin and that we will not be able on our own strength to to prevent this intractable problem from happening That try as we might by our own will, we will never stop repeating the sin in some form. And we get discouraged by that. We feel our humanity in that. We ask the question about the intractable problems of life. But I'll tell you, there is a stunning scene at the end of the sound of music, or close to the end, where Maria has matured and she's married Captain, or she's getting ready to marry Captain Von Trapp. They uh, have this scene and this beautiful, I think we have some pictures here, uh, in this beautiful sanctuary. And all the kids, Captain Von Trapp's kids are there that she's taking care of and nannied and now is gonna be their stepmother. And and it's really interesting, when I watch the movie again, What was curious to me about this scene was that the wedding song, as she walks down the aisle, is also sung by these nuns. And they sing the same song. How do you solve a problem like Maria? They sing about this intractable problem, but in a new context. The new context is a context of a wedding. And I wonder if we could talk about intractable problems and the nearness of God in this way. That Jesus weds himself to our intractable problems. That he joins with our intractable problems. How do you solve them? You marry them. You love them. You embrace them. It is the only way. It is the way of eternity. And there's a couple ways that this is described that is at the end here. I want to share with you as we continue to read in the Gospel of John. It says this, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus becomes hungry and thirsty so that we would not have to hunger and thirst anymore. Then I found this this one word, hyssop, to be really fascinating in this this reading um, because I think of this confession that you find in Psalm 51 maybe you remember it it's a prayer of david after he's committed his most egregious sin it's a prayer of confession in psalm 51 he says cleanse me with hyssop and i will be made clean see hyssop was this plant that was used actually all going back to the exodus narrative as a way that it was dipped in blood this this minty beautiful plant that was used to to paint on the doorposts in the exodus and then It was also used, it was sprinkled in on all sacrifices that were done, uh, particularly for calves in uh, the Old Testament, the ritual sacrifices. And here it is, being raised to Jesus' lips, as Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. This hyssop plant, cleanse me with hyssop, says, if David knows that one day, The cleansing blood of Jesus will be the thing that every single person will need in order to be made clean again. And then finally, in John 19, 28 through 30, it says, But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. See, the image here for John is that at the top of the hill, that there is a flow of water that is coming from Jesus' pierced side out into the world. The same water that he offered to this woman at this well in Samaria is the water that is offered to each and every human being. So how do you solve a problem like Maria? Through this gift that only needs to be received of the eternal life of Christ, purchased for us and the wounding of Christ for the sake of the world. And so may you, and i learn to receive this great gift would you pray with me lord jesus we thank you that you have purchased eternal life for us that eternal life is flowing out from you out into the world give us the ability to receive this great gift And may it fill your heart as it fills our heart to come to know you. We thank you, God, that it is finished, that it is taken care of and complete and made whole in you. All that is broken is made at peace with you. We give you all thanks and praise and glory for that. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.